Section 30 of The Natural History, Volume 7. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Green Magic. The Natural History, Volume 7, by Pliny the Elder. Translated by John Bostock and Henry Thomas Riley. Section 30, Book 36, Chapters 14 to 20. Chapter 14, Obelisks. Monarchs, too, have entered into a sort of rivalry with one another in forming elongated blocks of this stone, known as obelisks, and consecrated to the divinity of the sun. The blocks had this form given to them in resemblance to the rays of that luminary, which are so called in the Egyptian language. Mesphres, who reigned in the city of the sun, was the first who erected one of these obelisks, being warned to do so in a dream. Indeed, there is an inscription upon the obelisk to this effect, for the sculptures and figures which we still see engraved thereon are no other than Egyptian letters. At a later period, other kings had these obelisks hewn. Seothes erected four of them in the above-named city, forty-eight cubits in height. Ramses, too, who was reigning at the time of the capture of Troy, erected one, a hundred and forty cubits high. Having quitted the spot where the palace of Minevis stood, this monarch erected another obelisk, one hundred and twenty cubits in height, but of prodigious thickness, the sides being no less than eleven cubits in breadth. It is said that one hundred and twenty thousand men were employed upon this work, and that the king, when it was on the point of being elevated, being apprehensive that the machinery employed might not prove strong enough for the weight, with the view of increasing the peril that might be entailed by due want of precaution on the part of the workmen, had his own son fastened to the summit, in order that the safety of the prince might at the same time ensure the safety of the mass of stone. It was in his admiration of this work that, when King Cambyes took the city by storm, and the conflagration had already reached the very foot of the obelisk, he ordered the fire to be extinguished, he entertaining a respect for this stupendous erection, which he had not entertained for the city itself. There are also two other obelisks, one of them erected by Zemers, and the other by Phias, both of them without inscriptions, and forty-eight cubits in height. Ptolemus, Philadelphus, had one erected at Alexandria, eighty cubits high, which had been prepared by order of King Nectabus. It was without any inscription, and cost far more trouble in its carriage and elevation than had been originally expended in quarrying it. Some writers inform us that it was conveyed on a raft under the inspection of the architect Satyrus, but Callinexus gives the name of Phoenix. For this purpose, a canal was dug from the river Nilus to the spot where the obelisk lay, and two broad vessels, laden with blocks of similar stone a foot square, the cargo of each amounting to double the size and consequently double the weight of the obelisk, were brought beneath it, the extremities of the obelisk remaining supported by the opposite sides of the canal. The blocks of stone were then removed, and the vessels, being thus gradually lightened, received their burden. 
It was erected upon a basis of six square blocks, quarried from the same mountain, and the artist was rewarded with the sum of fifty talents. This obelisk was placed by the king above mentioned in the Arsionium, in testimony of his affection for his wife and sister, Arsion. At a later period, as it was found to be an inconvenience to the docks, Maximus, the then prefect of Egypt, had it transferred to the forum there, after removing the summit for the purpose of substituting a gilded point, an intention which was ultimately abandoned. There are two other obelisks, which were in Caesar's temple at Alexandria, near the harbor there, forty-two cubits in height, and originally hewn by order of King Mesphiriz. But the most difficult enterprise of all was the carriage of these obelisks by sea to Rome, in vessels which excited the greatest admiration. Indeed, the late Emperor Augustus consecrated the one which brought over the first obelisk as a lasting memorial of this marvelous undertaking in the docks at Puteole, but it was destroyed by fire. As to the one in which, by order of the Emperor Caius, the other obelisk had been transported to Rome, after having been preserved for some years and looked upon as the most wonderful construction ever beheld upon the seas, it was brought to Ostia by order of the late Emperor Claudius, and towers of Puteolan earth being first erected upon it, it was sunk for the construction of the harbor which he was making there. And then, besides, there was the necessity of constructing other vessels to carry these obelisks up the Tiber, by which it became practically ascertained that the depth of water in that river is not less than that of the river Nilus. The obelisk that was erected by the late Emperor Augustus in the Great Circus was originally quarried by order of King Semenpasertus, in whose reign it was that Pythagoras visited Egypt. It is eighty-five feet and three-quarters in height, exclusive of the base, which is a part of the same stone. The one that he erected in the Campus Martinus is nine feet less in height, and was originally made by order of Seothius. They are both of them covered with inscriptions, which interpret the operations of nature according to the philosophy of the Egyptians. Chapter 15. The Obelisk Which Serves as a Dial in the Campus Martinus The one that has been erected in the Campus Martinus has been applied to a singular purpose by the late Emperor Augustus, that of marking the shadows projected by the sun, and so measuring the length of the days and nights. With this object, a stone pavement was laid, the extreme length of which corresponded exactly with the length of the shadow thrown by the obelisk at the sixth hour on the day of the winter solstice. After this period, the shadow would go on, day by day, gradually decreasing, and then again would as gradually increase. Correspondingly, with certain lines of brass that were inserted in the stone, a device well deserving to be known, and due to the ingenuity of Facundus Novus, the mathematician, upon the apex of the obelisk he placed a gilded ball, in order that the shadow of the summit might be condensed and agglomerated, and so prevent the shadow of the apex itself from running to a fine point of enormous extent. The plan being first suggested to him, it is said, by the shadow that is projected by the human head. For nearly the last thirty years, however, the observations derived from the style have been found not to agree. Whether it is that the sun itself has changed its course in consequence of some derangement of the heavenly system, or whether that the whole earth has been in some degree displaced from its center, a thing that, I have heard say, 
has been remarked in other places as well. Or whether that some earthquake, confined to this city only, has wrenched the dial from its original position. Or whether it is that in consequence of the induations of the Tiber, the foundations of the mass have subsided, in spite of the general assertion that they are sunk as deep into the earth as the obelisk erected upon them is high. The third obelisk at Rome is in the Vaticanian Circus, which was constructed by the Empress Caius and Nero, this being the only one of them all that has been broken in the carriage. Nuncorius, the son of Seuses, made it, and there remains another by him, one hundred cubits in height, which, by order of an oracle, he consecrated to the sun, after having lost his sight and recovered it. Chapter 16. Marvelous Works in Egypt. The Pyramids. We must make some mention too, however cursorily, of the pyramids of Egypt, so many idle and frivolous pieces of ostentation of their resources on the part of the monarchs of that country. Indeed, it is asserted by most persons that the only motive for constructing them was either a determination not to leave their treasures to their successors, or to rivals that might be plotting to supplant them, or to prevent the lower classes from remaining unoccupied. There was great vanity displayed by these men in constructions of this description, and there are still the remains of many of them in an unfinished state. There is one to be seen in the gnome of Arsinotes, two in that of Memphites, not far from the labyrinth, of which we shall shortly have to speak, and two in the place where Lake Meares was excavated, an immense artificial piece of water, cited by the Egyptians among their wondrous and memorable works. The summits of the pyramids, it is said, are to be seen above the water. The other three pyramids, their noun of which has filled the whole earth, and which are conspicuous from every quarter to persons navigating the river, are situate on the African side of it, upon a rocky, sterile elevation. They lie between the city of Memphis and what we have mentioned as the Delta, within four miles of the river, and seven miles and a half from Memphis, near a village known as Bursirs, the people of which are in the habit of ascending them. Chapter 17. The Egyptian Sphinx. In front of these pyramids is the Sphinx, a still more wondrous object of art, but one upon which silence has been observed, as it is looked upon as a divinity by the people of the neighborhood. It is their belief that King Harmas was buried in it, and they will have it that it was brought there from a distance. The truth is, however, that it was hewn from the solid rock, and, from a feeling of veneration, the face of the monster is colored red. The circumference of the head, measured round the forehead, is 102 feet, the length of the feet being 143, and the height, from the belly to the summit of the asp on the head, 62. The largest pyramid is built of stone quarried in Arabia. 360,000 men, it is said, were employed upon it 20 years, and the three were completed in 78 years and four months. They are described by the following writers. Herodotus, Ehumeres, Durus of Samos, Astragoras, Dionysus, Artemidorus, Alexander Polyhestor, Butoridas, Anthetethens, Demetrius, Demotelus, and Apion. These authors, however, are disagreed as to the persons by whom they were constructed, accident having, with very considerable justice, 
consigned to oblivion the names of those who erected such stupendous memorials of their vanity. Some of these writers inform us that 1,500 talents were expended upon radishes, garlic, and onions alone. The largest pyramid occupies seven iagra of ground, and the four angles are equidistant, the face of each side being 833 feet in length. The total height from the ground to the summit is 725 feet, and the platform on the summit is 16 feet and a half in circuit. Of the second pyramid, the faces of the four sides are each 757 feet and a half in length. The third is smaller than the others, but far more prepossessing in appearance. It is built of Ethiopian stone, and the face between the four corners is 363 feet in extent. In the vicinity of these erections, there are no vestiges of any buildings left. Far and wide, there is nothing but sand to be seen, of a grain somewhat like a lentil in appearance, similar to that of the greater part of Africa, in fact. The most difficult problem is to know how the materials for construction could possibly be carried to so vast a height. According to some authorities, as the building gradually advanced, they heaped up against it vast amounts of nitre and salt, which piles were melted after its completion by introducing beneath them the waters of the river. Others again maintain that bridges were constructed, of bricks of clay, and that, when the pyramid was completed, these bricks were distributed for erecting the houses of private individuals. For the level of the river, they say, being so much lower, water could never by any possibility have been brought there by the medium of canals. In the interior of the largest pyramid, there is a well, 86 cubits deep, which communicates with the river, it is thought. The method of ascertaining the height of the pyramids and all similar edifices was discovered by Thales of Miletus, he measuring the shadow at the hour of the day at which it is equal in length to the body projecting it. Such are the marvelous pyramids, but the crowning marvel of all is that the smallest but most admired of them, that we may feel no surprise at the opulence of the kings, was built by Rodolphus, a courtesan. This woman was once the fellow-slave of Aesiopus, the philosopher and fabulist, and the sharer of his bed. But what is much more surprising is that a courtesan should have been enabled, by her vocation, to amass such enormous wealth. Chapter 18. The Pharos. There is another building, too, that is highly celebrated. The tower that was built by a king of Egypt on the island of Pharos at the entrance to the harbor of Alexandria. The cost of its erection was 800 talents, they say, and not to omit the magnanimity that was shown by King Ptolemaeus on this occasion, he gave permission to the architect Sotratos of Sindos to inscribe his name upon the edifice itself. The object of it is, by the light of its fires at night, to give warning to ships of the neighboring shoals and to point out to them the entrance of the harbor. At the present day, there are similar fires lighted up in numerous places, Ostia and Ravenna, for example. The only danger is that when these fires are thus kept burning without intermission, they may be mistaken for stars, the flames having very much that appearance at a distance. This architect is the first person that built a promenade upon arches at Snydos, it is said. Chapter 19. Labyrinths. We must speak also of the labyrinths, the most stupendous works, perhaps, on which mankind has expended its labors, and not for chimerical purposes, merely as might possibly be supposed. There is still, in Egypt, 
in the gnome of Heracleopotes, a labyrinth which was first constructed 3,600 years ago, they say, by King Petisuchus or Tithios, although, according to Herodotus, the entire work was the production of no less than 12 kings, the last of whom was Pasamachus. As to the purpose for which it was built, there are various opinions. Demoteles says that it was the palace of King Moteras, and Lysiens that it was the tomb of Marsyrus, while many others assert that it was a building consecrated to the sun, an opinion which mostly prevails. That Daedalus took this for the model of the labyrinth which he constructed in Crete, there can be no doubt. Though he only reproduced the hundredth part of it, that portion, namely, which encloses circuitous passages, windings, and inextricable galleries which lead to and fro. We must not, comparing this last to what we see delineated on our mosaic pavements, or to the mazes formed in the fields for the amusement of children, suppose it to be a narrow promenade along which we may walk for many miles together. But we must picture to ourselves a building filled with numerous doors and galleries, which continually mislead the visitor, bringing him back, after all his wanderings, to the spot from which he first set out. This labyrinth is the second, that of Egypt being the first. There is a third in the Isle of Lemnos, and a fourth in Italy. They are all of them covered with arched roofs of polished stone. At the entrance, too, of the Egyptian labyrinth, a thing that surprises me, the building is constructed of Parian marble, while throughout the other parts of it the columns are of Sinites. With such solidity is this huge mass constructed that the lapse of ages has been totally unable to destroy it, seconded as it has been by the people of Heraclipotes, who have marvelously ravaged a work which they have always held in abhorrence. To detail the position of this work, and the various portions of it, is quite impossible, it being subdivided into regions and prefectures, which are styled gnomes, thirty in number, with a vast palace assigned to each. In addition to these, it should contain temples of all the gods of Egypt, and forty statues of Nemesis, in as many sacred shrines, besides numerous pyramids, forty ells in height, and covering six aria at the base. Fatigued with wandering to and fro, the visitor is sure to arrive at some inextricable crossing or other of the galleries. And then, too, there are banqueting rooms situate at the summit of steep ascents, porticos from which we descend by flights of ninety steps, columns in the interior made of phosphorites, figures of gods, statues of kings, and effigies of hideous monsters. Some of the palaces are so peculiarly constructed that the moment the doors are opened, a dreadful sound, like that of thunder, reverberates within. The greater part, too, of these edifices have to be traversed in total darkness. Then again, without the walls of the labyrinth, there rises another mass of buildings, known as the Petron, beneath which there are passages excavated leading to other subterranean palaces. One person, and only one, has made some slight repairs to the labyrinth, Charamon, a eunuch of King Nechthabus, who lived five hundred years before the time of Alexander the Great. It is asserted, also, that while the arched roofs of squared stone were being raised, he had them supported by beams of thorn, boiled in oil. As for the Cretian labyrinth, which I have already stated must suffice for that, the labyrinth of Lemnos is similar to it, only that it is rendered more imposing by its hundred and fifty columns, the shafts of which 
when in the stone yard, were so nicely balanced that a child was able to manage the wheel of the lathe in turning them. The architects were Similis, Raosis, and Theodorus, natives of the island, and there are still in existence some remains of it, whereas of the Cretan labyrinth and of that in Italy not a vestige is left. As to this last, which Porciana, king of Etruria, erected as his intended sepulchre, it is only proper that I should make some mention of it, if only to show that the vanity displayed by foreign monarchs, great as it is, has been surpassed. But as the fabulousness of the story connected with it quite exceeds all bounds, I shall employ the words given by M. Varro himself in his account of it. Porciano was buried, says he, beneath the city of Clusum, in the spot where he had had constructed a square monument, built of squared stone. Each side of this monument was three hundred feet in length and fifty in height, and beneath the base, which was also square, there was an inextricable labyrinth, into which if any one entered without a clue of thread, he could never find his way out. Above this square building there stand five pyramids, one at each corner, and one in the middle, seventy-five feet broad at the base, and one hundred and fifty feet in height. These pyramids are so tapering in their form that upon the summit of all of them, united, there rests a brazen globe, and upon that a petius, from which there hang, suspended by chains, bells, which make a tinkling when agitated by the wind, like what was done at Dodona in former times. Upon this globe there are four other pyramids, each one hundred feet in height, and above them is a single platform, on which there are five more pyramids, the height of which Varro has evidently felt ashamed to add, but according to the Etruscan fables, it was equal to that of the rest of the building. What downright madness this, to attempt to seek glory at an outlay which can never be of utility to anyone, to say nothing of exhausting the resources of the kingdom, and after all, that the artist may reap the greater share of the praise. Chapter 20. Hanging Gardens. A Hanging City. We read, too, of hanging gardens, and what is even more than this, a hanging city, Thebes in Egypt. It being the practice for the kings to lead forth their armies from beneath, while the inhabitants were totally unconscious of it. This, too, is even less surprising than the fact that a river flows through the middle of the city. If, however, all this had really been the case, there is no doubt that Homer would have mentioned it, he who has celebrated the hundred gates of Thebes. End of section 30 Recording by Green Magic.